All right, open your Bibles with me to two passages. Get to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 31 and Psalm 119. Proverbs 31 and Psalm 119. Last week, we looked at the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. And we are going to continue studying that passage. And I'm excited about it. You know, our some of you, who, if you've begun coming to Grace Baptist Church in the last year, You've heard a lot of topical sermons. We were dealing with, you know, how to think and how to address modern thought and, and different topics like that. But historically, what we've done at Grace Baptist, the passion, what we do is just verse by verse, looking at the scriptures. And uh, really, I have two passions in ministry. The first is verse by verse, teaching people how to take off the world's glasses and put on biblical glasses to allow the Bible to interpret itself and for God to show us amazing things from His Word. That's my first passion. The second passion in teaching is just teaching people how to think. How to think. How to, how to, how to think logically. Because God invented logic. Logic goes along with the mind of God. And so if we can learn to think logically and biblically, then we'll know how to navigate through this wicked, sinful, deceitful world. And so this is really fun to get back into this. And uh, so let's just, let's just dive in. Look at Proverbs chapter 31. Uh, if you look at verse 10, the Bible says, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we need your help so desperately. And Lord, there are people here who work so hard. Many have burdens, a lot of things on their minds and hearts. And Lord, I pray that for a little while during this time that you can help them set those things aside and focus on you and your word. And Lord, help us to see wondrous things from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that, um, that we have taught here for years and years, but some of you who have begun coming in the last maybe a couple of years may not have heard this uh, from this pulpit, and that is how do we understand and apply the Bible? How, how should it be taught? Well, every passage must be interpreted three ways. There are three uh, components to your understanding of the Bible. The first is historical. Historical. What, did the, what does the text mean as it stands in the text? So we looked last week at the virtuous woman, what a virtuous woman is from the text, because the words mean exactly what they say. Amen? And so when you look at the text... What you're looking at is God's words that have been preserved and translated into your language. You can read them, you can rely on them, you can trust them, but they must be understood in their historical context. Is that fair? So in this text, it talks about if you look at uh, she per verse 18, she perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth out by night. I'm sorry, her candle goeth not out. By night, that not's an important word in that sentence, isn't it? Um, well, when you look at that, well, how many of you read by candlelight every night? Right? So, uh, all of you ladies, if any of you ladies who did not read by candlelight in the last week, none of you are virtuous women. No. It, you, have to, you have to put that in its historical context. The idea is that the sun going down does not stop her work. Right? So, historical context. So, every passage must be interpreted and understood historically. That's the first uh, interpretation and application. And the problem is, too many people 
Too many preachers go to a passage, they find a sentence that they like, and they take off preaching about something that's not even what that text is talking about. I'll show you one of my favorite examples. Um, You may need some extra fingers. Go to Psalm 2. I showed this in uh, the Wednesday night Bible study not too long ago. There's a preacher preaching that we need to have uh, Spanish-speaking ministries because so many Spanish-speaking people are coming to the United States that it's like having a mission field at home. And I think that that's true. Isn't Isn't that a wonderful thought? Really cool. There are Muslim communities in the United States where you can go and evangelize Muslims in a way that you never could. Anywhere else in the world, you'd be killed. And so the, the heart of what he was saying was excellent, and I agreed with it. And here, here was his text, verse 8. Uh, so it says, Ask of me, Psalm 2, verse 8, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. So God has given these people to Jesus Christ. We just need to go and gather them up. And so his whole sermon was about that. And I agreed with the point he was making. And so I already had the track made up. So we're going to gather these people up and bring them to Grace Baptist Church and then look at what we're going to do with them. Look at the next verse. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. How many of you think that's a good church growth verse? (laughs) I was wishing the preacher had read the next verse. You know, he could have found a text that actually brings the point that he was making. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's better than dash them in pieces. And so what I'm talking about is our approach to the Scriptures is to take the Bible in its context. It it means what it says. We believe every word of it. That's the foundation of everything we do here. So we're going to look doctrinally at what what Proverbs 31 teaches But we had to start historically. What's it talking about? A virtuous woman and all of those characteristics. Last week, we looked at uh, her beautiful character. She can be trusted. She's responsible. She takes the initiative. Her boundless responsibilities. She has a responsibility to work. She has a responsibility to others. She has a responsibility to her family. She has a responsibility to herself. She has a responsibility to her husband and her bountiful reward. She'll rejoice in time to come. Her children will rise up and call her blessed, and her husband will praise her. We looked at all of that last week. Historically, that is what the text is teaching. But remember, every passage has three ways of teaching. The first is historical. The second is doctrinal. We're going to look at that today. And primarily, most of the time, doctrine in the Old Testament is prophetic. So every passage, you need to look what is God telling us about the future in the text that we're reading. Remember, a third of your Bible is prophecy. There's more prophecy in the Psalms than in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John combined. It's very important that you see that. And then thirdly, it must be interpreted spiritually spiritually or devotionally. The problem with so many churches is they start with the third. And you never learn the first two. We're going to learn the first two about Proverbs 31 over the next few weeks. It is so fun. I can't wait to dive into it. But i got to give one more, I hope, preliminary thought to help you understand where we're going. Here at Grace Baptist Church, because we take the Bible literally... I mean, the words just mean what they say. Even when the Bible says, where Jesus says, I am the door, he doesn't have hinges and a knob. How many of you recognize there are no hinges, right? And yet, we take it literally. He is the door. You can't get to heaven unless you go through him. You can't have eternal life unless you go through him. He is literally the door 
to eternal life. Amen? As we look at this text, the way that we approach the Bible is literally. That's different than many, many other churches who handle the text allegorically. Now, allegorically, that means the words don't really mean what they say. There's a deeper spiritual meaning behind them. You have to do that, okay? An interpreter must do that if they to believe that we are in the kingdom right now, right? And there are some teachers who would teach that, that what, we're, what we are doing is the church is going to make the world a better place. The church is going to bring in righteousness and peace and going to prepare the world so that Jesus Christ can enter triumphantly. How are we doing? How many of you think that Christianity is on the rise in the United States of America? Anybody believe that? You've got to take your brain out and play with it to think that. It's just not happening right now. But you know what the Bible says? The time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Do you know what the blessing is? God told us this would happen. You know, God's not up there going, oh man, if I had only known, I would have written something else in the Bible. Wow. It is so important that we understand that our view of the Scripture is no longer the view of broader Christianity. The idea that the words mean what they say and that we interpret them by the other words in the Bible, that's gone. It's gone, now not in conservative, Baptist, evangelical churches like us. There are other churches like us. But you know, most of broader Christianity, if you believe that Jesus Christ is going to return, the people think you're crazy. You look at the people on the news who talk about Ted Cruz. Now, he's a nut because he believes Jesus Christ is going to come back. That's the idea. That's the, that is the view of all of these people who call themselves Christians, of people who approach the Scriptures like us. And the word that we use is dispensational. We approach it dispensationally. And I'm not going to go into a full definition of that, but it's simply this, that we believe that we take the Bible and interpret it literally. The words mean what they say. We believe that when God talks about Israel, He's talking about Israel. When He's talking about the church, He's talking about the church. All right? So if you see, how many of you understand that Israel and the church are not the same thing? Is that right? Israel and the church, they're not the same thing. Israel's a place and a people in a place. The church is every believer everywhere, right? And then local churches are where you gather up those believers and we worship God in the order, the way that He has instructed us to do. It's really important that we get that. So it's a, there's a distinction between Israel and the church. That's the primary difference between the way that we approach Scripture and others. When you approach the Bible that way, here's what happens. Go with me to Psalm 119. Look at verse 18. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You know, you could have read the Bible 30 times, and every time you read it, God will open your eyes to something new. It's wonderful. You know, in the qualifications for a pastor, one of the qualifications is not a novice. Not a novice. It doesn't say a master of the Word of God. You know why? You can, no one's ever mastered the Word of God. It's a supernatural book. Isn't that awesome? And so, hallelujah, you, you didn't have to require me to be a master of the Scriptures. Just not a novice. And what's so funny, I was, I was maybe not a novice, but not very far from one when I became the pastor. So please do not go back and listen to my sermons from 19 years ago. I have disowned them. Now, it's really important that you get this. When you love God, 
when you love His Word, when you believe the words as they stand. Do you know what God does? Look at verse 18 again. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. There is so much more in the Bible than the average Christian has any idea is there. How do we find those things? How do we find those things? So we're in Psalm 119. Go to, go to verse 130. Now, we got to start at 128. I love 128. Again, this is something I've never seen on a needlepoint or a pillow. Therefore, I esteem, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. How about that? David was a hater. And God commends him for that. It's very interesting. Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Who are the simple? They're not people who don't have the capacity to learn. They're people who have not yet learned. And what God does when you believe his words and you hold to those words, he gives you light that other people don't have who don't believe His words. By believing His words, He gives light. He gives understanding to the simple. Very interesting. I was watching years ago. Um, how many of you have seen Jack Van Impey on television? Jack Van Impey. Now, he was a member. He used to be a member of the church that started this church. He was an independent Baptist. My dad did meetings with him, did the music for his meetings, and I knew him as a, as a child. Jack Van Impey. You know, have you seen Rexella? Oh, Jack. You know, you watch her on, it's pretty creepy. And so Van Impey, he, he's kind of gone off the deep end. He's a little crazy now. But what happened was he was hurt by other Christians. He lost his entire ministry because of a letter-writing campaign that wasn't true. And his response to that was, let's all come together. Let's stop having divisions. And it, 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 that doctrinally, he moved. And yet, he has the whole New Testament memorized, most of the Old Testament memorized. He was called the Walking Bible. And so I saw him on the PTL Club, or whatever it's called. And he's hosting it with Robert Schuller's son. Remember Crystal Cathedral? Isn't it wonderful? We're here today. God wants you to be happy. Remember him? Well, his son was on this PTL with him. And they're talking about prophecy. And Van Impey would quote a passage from the Old Testament. And the, the Schuler would say, I was taught that's an allegory. In other words, it doesn't mean what it says. And Van Impey would quote another verse. And, and all of a sudden, Van Impey's getting mad. And he starts quoting verses and preaching, and all of a sudden, he's the old independent Baptist, fundamentalist, Bible preacher. And I was sitting there saying, you go, Jack. That's awesome. And it's so interesting. You could see the contrast in their approach to the Scriptures by one said, he'd quote the verse. And the other guy would say, it, well, it doesn't mean that. What do you mean it doesn't mean it? I didn't, all I did was quote it. And that's the difference in the approach to the Bible. We just believe it means what it says. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the virtuous woman from Proverbs 31. We're going to go back to Proverbs 31, look at verse 10. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through the Bible 
And we're going to identify today who is the virtuous woman. Who is the virtuous woman? Does, does God tell us who that is? We're going to search through that. And let me tell you where this came from. Um, of course, we've taught most much of this over the years. But I was at a meeting in um, March at First Baptist in New Philadelphia, Ohio, and Mark Trotter, who used to be the pastor there, was back. And he taught on this subject, Proverbs 31, and went through the Bible and taught us some stuff. And I said, I've got to teach this to Grace Baptist Church. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. And the first place we're going to go is, and we're going to be using the outline that we used last week, but we're going to expand it over the next several weeks. But here we're going to answer a question. Now, I, I promise, I promise, I'm, I'm looking out there, and this is many of you. I promise it'll get better than what it was. It's going to be really exciting, but you've got to plug in with me. You've got to make sure you've got a Bible in front of you because what we're going to do is we're going to allow the Bible to interpret itself. So look at Proverbs 31 and verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? What we're going to do is we're going to look and see if we can find out who the virtuous woman is. But I've got to tell you about our methodology. How are we going to do this? Are we going to go to a commentary? Are we going to go and see, who does Matthew Henry think that the virtuous woman was? Now, that's going to be difficult because he's dead, but he, we do have his commentaries. He wouldn't be able to tell you who this is. Why? Because he did not take every word literally. It's very interesting. All right? So now, let's try to find out the truth of who this is. Our methodology. How are we going to approach this? Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Better keep a marker there in Proverbs 31. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and look at verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen. Anyone ever seen this verse before? You heard this? But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, it's very interesting. There have been many a sermon preached on heaven about that passage. About how wonderful. Your eyes haven't seen it. You can't even imagine how great it is. How many of you have heard a sermon on heaven or a reference to heaven from that passage? Well, I believe those things about heaven. That's just not what that verse is talking about. And that's what happens when you take a verse out of its context. And so the, the, in the context, it's the wisdom of God. You haven't seen. I have not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man. It's, that's talking about the wisdom and the truth of God. Let's read on. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Here's the idea. You can understand other people. So if someone insults you, you know what that feels like. If someone slaps you and slaps someone else in the face, you know what that feels like. And what you say, if someone did that to me, right, you, you, can, you can relate to the spirit of another person because you're a person. How do you relate to the things of God? You're not God. Right? We've looked at it before. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are the thoughts of God above the thoughts of man. His thoughts are that much higher than our thoughts. So how can we ever know them or have an understanding of them? Verse 11, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, here's the good news. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So here's the idea. Now, remember, that passage, I have not seen nor ear heard, it's not talking about heaven. It's talking about the wisdom of God, the things of God. Do you see that clearly now in the context, that that's what it's talking about? Okay. It's wonderful how the Bible clears up a lot of our doctrine. Right? It's very interesting. All right, so now, verse 13 again, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. So when I teach you, I can't teach you from man's wisdom. I need to teach you from God's wisdom. If you want to understand God, you can't do that humanly. It has to be through the Spirit of God. How does that happen? Well, when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in you. All right, and then the Bible says that His Spirit communes with our spirit, tells us that we're the sons of God. Isn't that a blessing? But that's not the only thing the Holy Spirit does. When He comes, He will guide you into all truth. So what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit indwells you and teaches you the Bible. But it's not some weird mystical thing where I lay on my pillow and I put this under my pillow and through osmosis, God starts giving me truth. Right? It's not when I read a commentary about the Bible What God does is He uses His Holy Spirit to take His words and give me understanding through them. And so the reason that so many Christians are so spiritually and doctrinally shallow is they really don't know the words of God. They don't know it. There are so many churches where you come in, they read one verse or a portion of one verse, the preacher goes, and you never come back to the Scriptures. I've been in services where the preacher reads the verse and says, okay, put your Bibles away and look up here. Really? Did I come to learn about you or did I come to learn about the Bible? Amen? Very important that we get this. Now, look at verse 14. But the natural man, that's, that's your fleshly man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are what? What are they? But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Well, wait a minute. I thought we weren't supposed to judge. No, we're supposed to judge righteous judgment. So he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So how do we have the mind of Christ? Through the Bible. So go back to verse... 13 again, which things we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So how are we going to understand the Bible? Well, we need to compare spiritual things with spiritual. Okay, let me ask you this question. How are we going to understand the Bible? Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Let's try this again. How are we going to understand the Bible? So if someone at work says, how do you understand the Bible? I read it, I can't understand it. What should you say? I lost a few of you. Okay? So you're at the gas station. You're talking to somebody about the Bible. And they say, how do you understand the Bible? What are you going to say? What does that mean, though? Go to John chapter 6. Let's allow, the, let's allow spiritual things to interpret spiritual things. Well, I was walking one day. 
And the Holy Spirit came down in a flash of light and gave me a Harry Potter symbol on my forehead. And I knew. No. John chapter 6. And look at verse 63. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. So John 6, 63. Are we all there? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. That means to make alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. What is that in response to? Got to eat my flesh, drink my blood. He's explaining it. How many of you have ever heard somebody that, you know, they get really messed up on that right there? They think that when they take communion, they're eating the body of Jesus and they're drinking His blood. Jesus' commentary on that is, don't be stupid. All right, look at what it says. It is the spirit that quickeneth, makes alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Do you see that? They are spirit and they are life. So how do you understand the Bible? You're at the gas station and somebody says, how do you understand the Bible? What do you say? By? So what he, he looks at you and says, what are you talking about? Well, John 6.63 says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So you understand the Bible by comparing the words of the Bible to the other words of the Bible. The best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. So our methodology for this message that's almost about to start is that we are going to compare Scripture with Scripture and we're going to allow the Bible to speak for itself and we're going to start with who's the virtuous woman? Who can find a virtuous woman. You know, there are a lot of women mentioned in the Bible, and many of them were virtuous. But only one is called virtuous. Go to the book of Ruth. Now, there's a Bible provided for you in the, in the, the chair in front of you. Make sure that you've got a Bible. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Ruth, chapter 3. And look at verse 11. Ruth 3, verse 11. And now, my daughter, fear not. I'm here in pages, so I'll wait. We're all going to get there. Ruth, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Are we there? Ruth 3, verse... If we're there, say amen. 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 And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. So who is the virtuous woman that's identified in the Bible? Who is that? It's Ruth. It's Ruth. Let's look her biblical identity. She is the only woman in the Bible identified as the virtuous woman. So let, let's just do an overview of the story of Ruth so we can get an understanding of this. She's the virtuous woman. Well, who is she? Well, first of all, she's from a cursed race. She's from a cursed race. She's a Moabitess. So she's from a cursed race. And because she's from that cursed race, she's separated from God and His promises. Uh, look at Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. We're going to let the Word of God define itself. Galatians 3. And look at verse 16. This is such a fun study. If you, if you ever want to do something fun, just look at all the 316s in the Bible. It's pretty cool. So Galatians 3.16, and to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Do you see that? Let's read that out loud together. You ready? 
Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. So Ruth, as a Moabitess, she was not a Jew. She was not of the seed of Abraham. She was alienated from the promises of God. She was a part of a cursed race. You say, that's not fair. Well, that's just the way it is. Now, they were to come to God and come to the promises through the Jewish people. Very important that you get that. But as a Moabitess, she was separated from God and His promises. And there in her home country, she's living in a land of famine. There's no food. There's no bread. She's going to starve to death. But she gets word from a far country that there is bread in Bethlehem. And so what does she do? She hears that God has visited His people in Bethlehem and He's given them bread. So upon hearing that good news... She leaves everything behind. She leaves her family. She leaves her possessions. She leaves everything. And she goes to a far country and she goes and partakes of that bread and lives. She's not going to die because she has taken of the bread that was available in Bethlehem. She goes to work in the harvest field. As she's working in the harvest field, she gets there and without realizing it, her kinsman redeemer owns the field. And he's her Jewish kinsman redeemer. And he sees her in that field and he falls head and heels, head over heels in love with her. He's out walking one day and it's funny, it says, as it was her hap. Isn't that awesome? As it was her hap. I heard an old preacher say that that is his appointed place. As it was her hap, she comes to this field and she's working. And Boaz looks out over the field and he says, Hamana, Hamana, Hamana. (laughs) Who'd that be? And he falls head over heels in love with her. And then what does he do? He takes her out of the field and makes her his bride and they live happily ever after. What a beautiful story. Isn't that a beautiful story? It's one of the greatest love stories that's ever been written. Beautiful love story that's placed there in the Bible. But here's the amazing thing. Her story is our story. The reason that God placed that in the book of Ruth in the order that it's in in the books of the Bible is to teach us something about ourselves. What can we learn about this? Well, we were born into a cursed race, the human race. For as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so all death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We've been born into a cursed race. We're separated from God and His promises. No hope in the world. Alienated, the Bible says, and without hope in this world. Then we, it's left our souls famished. There's no place to find food. And yet, one day, Somebody gave us good news that the Lord had visited His people in Bethlehem and the bread of life was born. And if we'll come to the bread of life, we can live. When we heard this, we left everything that we held dear and made a beeline for Bethlehem and partook of that bread. And what happened to us? Go to First Peter. I'm sorry, Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. Remember, we're part of a cursed race. We're without hope in the world. We're alienated from the promises of God. Then we heard that there's bread in Bethlehem. Look at verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious, what? Promises. We're no longer alienated from the promises of God. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. 
And so what did God do? We're no longer alienated. Now we have the promises. Now he's left us in his harvest field. The Bible says the field is the world. Remember in the, the parable of the sower? What did Jesus say? The field is the world. So now we're saved. We've partaken of the bread of life. Now we have life. We have eternal life. But he sends us out into his harvest field to labor for him. And do you know what's going to happen soon? He's going to come back and take us out of the harvest field and take us to a marriage supper. And we are his bride. What an amazing picture of the church. That's why this book is in the Bible. It's a picture. And God knew, go back to Proverbs 31. God knew that Solomon was going to ask this question. Who can find a virtuous woman? Who can find a virtuous woman? And it is interesting that it is Solomon who asks that question. Now, keep your, keep your place in, in Proverbs, but go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11. And look at verse 2. What, you know, when you get there to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, look up here at me. It's really important that you get this. When you look at, we're not going to turn there because you're familiar with the passage, but in Ephesians chapter 5, where it's talking about husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. Wives, submit unto yourselves and submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And it's talking about that marriage relationship. Then you get to verse 32 and he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Well, wait a minute. I thought you were talking about marriage. He is the marriage of Christ and the church. So how does, how does God want you to be presented to his son? It tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. A chaste virgin. Do you know what he wants the church to be? A virtuous woman. A virtuous woman. So what do we discern by comparing Scripture with Scripture? That Proverbs 31 describes a godly wife and mother. Amen? But that's not all. Proverbs 31 describes what God expects for the New Testament church. How do we know that? Let's compare some more scriptures. Go back to Proverbs 31. Well, when Solomon asks who can find a virtuous woman, he would know. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Mark Trotter said, can you imagine his makeup bill? <laughs> 700 wives and 300 concubines. And you know what he says? By the time he gets to Proverbs 31.10, there's not one in a thousand. There's not one in a thousand. And we know that because look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It's the next book. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Look at verse 26. 
Solomon, after having experienced all of that, he's, he's tasted all that the world can give him. And the book of Ecclesiastes is the view of the world from man's perspective. And look at what he says in verse 26. And I find more bitter than death the woman. <laughs> I've never seen that on a pillow either. <laughs> Whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. Who can find? A virtuous woman. Who's saying that? The son of David. The son of David is looking for a chaste virgin. Very interesting. Couldn't find one. But you know what's amazing? Do you know what the next book in your Bible is? It's the Song of Solomon. He finds her. And who is she? Song of Solomon, we're not going to go there, but chapter 6, it says that she's a Shulamite, a Gentile bride. Isn't that amazing? He finds her. The Shulamite. Now what's interesting, go back to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. Look at verse 10 again. When, who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. When you find a virtuous woman, her price is far above rubies because there's not one in a thousand. It's interesting. Rubies. Rubies. Um, what, is, what is the significance? Her price is far above rubies. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Her price is far above rubies. 1 Corinthians 6. When we did our first discipleship training, this was a verse that we had to quote, and Dan knew, always would do, What? That's how he remembered it was awesome. Okay, verse 19, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with... Uh, what's the word there? Her price is far above rubies. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Folks, we as a church, we're not our own. We're bought with a price. We belong to Him, and that price was far above rubies. But what price? It's a price that's above rubies. So what, what does that mean? Well, why are rubies valuable? Well, because they're rare. It's a precious jewel. They're rare. But they're costly because of their rarity. Right? If you go out and you get gravel, and you get gravel and you put it in a setting and take it to your wife, she's going to say, Thanks. Why? Because it's not precious. It's not precious. And Laura loves diamonds and rubies. So they're rare. They're costly. But there are other, there are other metals or other uh, uh, precious stones that could have been mentioned. Why rubies? Because they're red. They're red. The blood of Jesus. And you want to know something about the church? 
who would have, who would be able to pay that price? Only the son of David could afford to pay that price. Only Jesus Christ could afford to pay it. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world looking for a bride, but the dowry that was required for her required a substance that was infinitely more rare than rubies and infinitely more costly than rubies and infinitely more red than rubies because the substance was none other than the blood of God far above rubies. Her price, her price. Only the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, possessed the wealth to pay the price to redeem us. How? Because he possessed all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And he was able to pay that price. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the what? The precious blood. What's a ruby? It's a precious stone. What's more valuable, more costly than rubies? The precious blood of Jesus Christ, the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It's far more precious than all of the silver and all of the gold and every precious stone in the world. Once you begin to see what's happening and who the woman is, you no longer breeze by it as if it's just a story for women. We start to understand who the Bible is talking about. Proverbs 31 is one of the most concise and practical teachings on the New Testament church that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. Next week, we'll begin looking at that. But we needed to identify who is the virtuous woman. It's Ruth. Who The, the, the story of Ruth, what's it the story of? It's the story of the Gentile bride and her kinsman redeemer. When's Jesus Christ going to come back? When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. It's us. We're His bride. He has bought us with a price. He loves us more than anything. And He desires to be with us. So here's the question. Grace Baptist Church, will we be able to be presented to Him as a chaste virgin, as a virtuous woman? You see, there are lots of books on church growth. You can go to lots of seminars on how to run a church. But I can tell you this, nothing will compare to the information that God gives us through Proverbs 31 about what we are to be as a church. And that's what we're going to be studying. But the most important thing that we've looked at today is that Jesus Christ paid a price for you that's far above rubies. He shed His precious blood on the cross so that you could be saved and have eternal life. He wants to give you that bread of life. Oh, and He said, I am the bread of life. He wants to give you that eternal life. But it's up to you to leave everything else that you've been believing and trusting in and go to the place where bread is available. And that's only at the cross of Jesus Christ and His empty tomb where you can understand the death, burial, and resurrection of your Savior and the price that he paid was more precious than rubies, infinitely more precious than rubies. 
It was his precious blood that he shed for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father.